Oh, good day, team. It's Harps. It's uh, Dr. Hannah Corral, not Corell. I don't know why I said that. Not like Steve Corell. Did I fuck <laughs> it up last time? I did, didn't I? No, it's all good. It's spelt Corell, like K O R R E L, but it's pronounced Corral. Oh. Yeah, it's oh. German. Apparently, it means like grain. Which is, really? Yeah. Mm, I think yeah. Craig means of the crag. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Don't who, know. Who, anyway, let's not get into names. All right. Last time we spoke about the triune, we spoke about kind of the the three fundamental bits of the brain that you unpacked with us, which were the dinosaur, the child, and the adult, mm-hmm. uh, which is the right. reptilian brain, the limbic brain, and the neocortex. And today we are specifically looking at what? So today we're going to zoom in on that reptilian brain of ours, that little dinosaur in the back of our brain that I first spoke to you about, which I, you might remember from last time we talked about mm. how that's the first brain, the original, the OG. It's the one that <laughs> all of the animals on planet have that keep us alive and automatic. <laughs> You're already laughing. <laughs> oh, OG. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's the OG brain. And if you, you know, pull out your Googles, you can see a, a cerebellum in a brain. And what you'll notice about it is it actually looks like a mini brain. It looks yeah. like a mini brain. Yeah. And the cool thing about the dinosaur brain is, you know, you know how like if you think of like a lizard crawling on its belly along the ground, mm-hmm. what happened was that part of your brain was the original part of the brain. And when we kind of stood up and evolved as bipedal species, we got these big, fat, juicy frontal lobes that went floop over the top. And that became the top of our brain. So -hmm. what used to be the top of our brain was this old reptilian brain. That's where it gets its name, the reptilian brain, because it sort of evokes this idea of old prehistoric, you know, evolution. uh, Or as you call it, the OG part of the brain, yep. Yeah, your Jurassic Park brain, the little dinosaur. I like to think of mine as like a little Barney. Don't you remember Barney? I do. Do you know Barney? Yeah. Barney's a bit post my childhood by a few decades, but I know Barney. (laughs) <laughs> I like to think of it like the Barney in your brain because he's it, what he's doing is he, he loves you and he cares about you, but he's also just like a, a a big pink dinosaur with no no opposable thumbs who's just pressing buttons in your brain trying to help because he loves you, but sometimes not necessarily doing the thing that helps you. <laughs> and we'll talk about that a little bit more today. We're going to talk about how the dinosaur hijacks mm. your brain. Mm. Now, do you remember, Craig, we talked last time about bottom-up and top-down processes? I do. Yeah, so the bottom-up process is what we're going to focus on today, which is how that dinosaur brain can almost, like, hit this, like, say he's, he's a homer and he's sitting in his, his um, you know, the, the power plant, he's got his big control board in front of him and he's mm. pressing these buttons. There's a big red button in the middle of the control board. It's a big red button and he whacks it and it's the, it's the alarm system that sends off all the alarms. Awooga, awooga, alert, alert. And it, it floods your body with a lot of reactions. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm, painting, oh. I'm painting a picture. <laughs> you need your own kids show. Um, and, and and if I remember from last time, the reptilian brain kind of all that is is responsible for keeping everything going on a, on an unconscious automatic like those autonomous systems that just the heart keeps beating, we keep breathing, the the nerves keep nerving, the, yep. the hormones Blinking, keep hormoning. Bleeding. Digestion, sweating, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So it also contains these two core systems in your brain, which I'm sure you've talked about many times before, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, which is mm. part of our central nervous systems. Now, 
the sympathetic nervous system is just a fancy way of saying what we know as the fight and flight system, Mm. which you've probably talked about many, many times. But we also know now with more research that we have more, more than just fight and flight. There's also freeze and fawn responses. So, you know, Craig, do you, uh, let's go through what those are. So I'm sure that you can probably tell me what you think of the fight, the fight response would be. So fight or flight is I get a shock or a scare and I run the other way or I, I punch someone in the face because I feel I'm, I'm uh, being threatened or I'm in danger. Yeah. Um, so you're, yeah. And the other one, what was the other one? Freeze or fawn, did you say? Correct. Yep. Is uh, where I just, uh, I get rendered bloody uh, paralyzed because I'm I'm overcome with, I guess, fear, anxiety, and I'm, I freeze. That's right. Yep. Very good. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's like right. an elephant stamp. <laughs> okay, I'll send some. I'll send something Thank now. You. Thank you. So yeah, you're right. Your fight response would be all of you becoming maybe domineering or intimidating. You might have seen someone in a fight response. Their voice gets loud. They raise their voice. They're physically in your space or bigger, puffing themselves up, and it could actually be verbal aggression or physical aggression. And that response to you know box the shark in the nose to get away and save yourself. The flight response might be to run away, you know, Mm. get away because Mm. in life you can't fight your way out of everything. You know, you Mm. can't punch a fire. You can't, you know, punch a gas leak. You have to, sometimes you actually have to flee. You have to get away to Mm. save yourself from the danger. So it's evolutionary, very clever response to have. Mm. Another another evolutionarily clever response to have is the freeze response. Mm. So in Australia, you know, I don't know if you have a lot of international listeners, but in Australia, we all know that if you see a snake, so say you're on a, a bushwalk and if you see a snake, Craig, what, what should you do if you see a snake on the path in front of you? Heal it. <laughs> oh, my God. You should <laughs> hit it over the what? head with a big rock mm. and make it into a belt. And what's the other thing you oh, should do? <laughs> okay. I'm only kidding, everyone. Well, I mean, I, I know I think you're going for freeze, just don't move. I'm pretty sure I could outrun that motherfucker, but I'm not sure. But I think I think the recommended advice is to be still. I mean, maybe we should get like someone from you know park what park parks of recreation or something like that to tell us what the official rules are. So don't take it for us if you see it. Check it for yourself. But there is an, a theory that if you freeze in the presence of a danger, if you're very still, if you don't make a lot of movements, what you're signaling to that threat is, I am not a danger. I'm not moving. If there was a snake in front of you and you went, oh, and you were waving your arms around and flaying around, oh, my God, a snake, then the snake's going to think things like, oh, it's a threat. It's attacking me. It's going to attack me. I better attack first. Or, so by being or really that snake still, is going to think, Dr. Hannah is fucking hilarious. What is wrong with her? <laughs> Hey man, Is she having, having your, a breakdown. Have you seen Jurassic Park? Do you remember when the T Rex comes out and and the guy says, "What's the guy's name?" Sam Sam Neil. Sam Neil. He says, "Don't move." And then the guy moves and he runs and the T Rex sees him and he gets him. Yeah, he should have froze. He should have yeah. froze. So all of so those, uh, all of you listening who live near a T Rex, take that on board. The rest of yeah. you just kill the snake. If you ever go to Jurassic Park, just freeze, guys. No, so- <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't send me emails. Do not kill the snake. Oh, my God. So this is also an evolutionarily clever response because if somebody is, you know, 
aggressive towards you, Mm. you can de-escalate hostility by being quite still. And if we think about what that looks like in the modern day, that might be somebody who might make themselves really small, really small, really quiet, choosing the option of not defending themselves. Mm. And I'm sure this is something that probably resonates with a lot of people. You probably think back to times when you were younger where there were some times where you had to just cop it and you had to stand and listen and get the lecture or be yelled at or whatever it was and you had to freeze. And that was the safest option for you Mm. was to be still, be quiet, be small, don't defend yourself Mm. and just in a way cop it. And, And your body has frozen to try to protect you in that moment. Um, now, the final part of this was the fawn response. Did you want to guess what you thought the fawn response was? Before we go to the fawn response, so like basically the cerebellum or the reptilian part of our brain, one of its functions is just to keep us safe, more broadly speaking, right? Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. a threat detection epicenter yep. of the brain. Yep, there's that big red button yeah. Barney has detected a threat. There is a there's a threat oh. occurred and he's hit the button. And we'll talk about what makes that your reptilian brain hit that emergency button. And, Why do T Rexes how- have those tiny, stupid little arms, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. Evolutionarily, I suppose. Chickens, they seem evolutionarily chickens used to be bigger. They seem inadequate. <laughs> if they're fighting a a stegosaurus, they're fucked. All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, let's get fawn, the fawn response. Fawn response. What I do you think know. The to fawn me, response fawn means? means like if you're fawning over someone, it's like you're like you're like trying to fucking appease them or yeah. please them or is that is that what it means? That's exactly right. Intuitively you've just picked your nail on the head there. So the fawn response is, is your body's um attempt to sort of align to ingratiate to please to to de-escalate the the threat right and and if you think about you know think about maybe any time perhaps you've been out it's been late and you've been you've encountered somebody who you've known okay that person's a little bit drunk that person's a maybe they're a, a big larger solid, strong person, and you've seen that they're they're a little drunk and that they're potentially rowdy, and you can have different responses to that person. You can be hostile and aggressive. You can ignore them. But mm. sometimes there are times where you know that to almost appease them, to ingratiate them a little bit, to be like, oh, yeah, mate, cool, you know, righto, you know, he's, he's give him the high five and, and move along and no issue occurs. Mm. It's, it's almost like that idea of aligning yourself with the bully, befriending the bully. When, mm. you're, in, when you're in school, you know, and you're getting bullied, mum might invite the bully over to your house for tea <laughs> so that you can make friends with the bully so they stop bullying you. Right, so you, it's it's that response of de-escalation, de-escalating a threat, a threat with with you being um, with acquiescing essentially, with wow. with going along with it, with appeasing. And if you think about like alpha pe- packs in the uh, you know in the wild, like if you if you were if we go to David Attenborough and we think about wolves in the wild, for example, there's different packs. What pack do you want to be part of? Yeah. You want to be part of the strongest pack, the alpha pack. Mm. And to be the bottom of the alpha pack, to be mm. the, the bottom of the hierarchy on the alpha pack is still better 
than being in a weaker pack, okay? And what that might mean is that you have to hang around with the strongest, meanest wolves to get your meal, to get your food and what's left over of the food, even if it means you only get the scrap. And this, again, if we we fast forward from uh, that evolutionary days to today, that response, which has been hardwired into us because it works, because it's effective Mm. over thousands and thousands of years of development, it's worked. Mm. And so in the modern age, 2023, the fawn response starts to look a little different. It looks Mm. like things like people who have that overwhelming need or drive to people, please, Mm. who have that inability or that huge anxiety when they say no. Mm. And that, that sense, that drive, that almost irresistible uh, impulse to just yeah. agree. Yes, okay, yes, take my time, take my money, take take my energy, all right? Give, 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 give. Yeah, the, pe- the people pleasers, the givers. I, I don't really like the term people pleasers because I think it's, it's kind of offensive. I think it's a beautiful thing to be altruistic and to give, but I do think that people will take advantage of that. Mm. And it, it's a system that in some scenarios will de-escalate a threat and keep us safe. And in other scenarios over the long term can actually end up undermining us and hurting us. Well, I think there's a fine line, colloquially speaking, practically speaking, in the real world, I think there's a fine line between people pleasing and being an emotional doormat. Yeah. Being a pawn in someone else's game or a character in someone else's story, use whatever metaphor you want. But, you know, when you are, so hell bent on fitting in and not creating waves and keeping everyone happy. You wake up one day and you go, well, now I'm 40 and I don't do anything to look after myself. I'm I'm trying to keep the rest of the world happy. And while that's a nice intention, it's not a good plan for your own mental health or well-being or individuality. But step, there's a step. reason that people do that, Craig, yeah, and you yeah. and I are going to talk about that. Actually, that's that's going to come up in, in number four of our series. We're going to talk about why that happens. Why does this evolutionary system that one time it's effective and it's worked for me, yeah. how come then I keep doing it chronically again and again and again and again and again? It's turned into a pattern that has now caused me to be a flight a, a flight person. Socially mm. isolating, pulling away, always running away, avoiding those emotions and discussions, mm. or an angry person, a, a fight person who's intimidating and who goes into anger so quickly, or a freeze person who can't seem to defend myself, or a people pleaser or a fawn person, as you mentioned, who gives and gives and gives to the point where it's to our own detriment of our not just our mental health, but sometimes our physical health as well. And why does that happen? If this, you might be thinking, Hannah, if this, if this reptile brain is so clever and so evolutionary smart, why is it making me do these things? And we're going to talk about that in the upcoming episodes. But before we get into that, I want to talk about, well, what is this system actually doing to you? When those, when your sympathetic nervous system turns on, what is it actually doing to your body to make this response? Mm. Right. So when that system turns on, it is essentially flooding your body with stress hormones. Right. And and the major stress hormones that we know of are cortisol and adrenaline. You've mm. probably heard of those. Those are um Adrenaline is a fantastic, a fantastic tool to use if you were in the Olympics and you were running a race and you wanted to get your personal best. You would want lots of adrenaline. 
because it's narrowing your vision, giving you that tunnel vision to focus on your goal. It's tightening your muscles Mm. to make sure that they're ready to go, ready to punch at the moment's notice, getting really, really tight, really tight back muscles, tight neck muscles, ready at a moment's notice just in case something is to hit you or you needed to do something or you needed to run away. It it makes us, um, it invariably makes us start to breathe faster and quicker and more rapidly to get that oxygen in our body and to start to breathe, uh, which might be useful initially, but starts Mm. to become detrimental if it happens for a long time. It makes our heart start to pump really rapidly, increases Mm. our blood pressure, increases our heart rate. And essentially what it's trying to do is it's pulling the energy into keeping you alive. So it's taking energy away from extraneous, you know, unnecessary, in inverted commas, and necessary systems or functions in your body and Mm. pumping all that energy into the one system to keep you alive, Mm. your adrenal system, to get away and to survive. Um, It's a bit like, you know, um, homeostasis or uh, frostbite. You know, with people who get frostbite, like what happens with their fingers when their toes? Uh, They they get, I don't know, or they get bloody frostbite and they get, What's it called? Um, Frozen. Mm. Yeah, all their cells start to die and they lose stuff. Like yeah, like necrosis. Yeah, yeah. So the, cellular death. And then the blood supply stops going to there and it starts to try to save the rest of the body. Yes, that's exactly right. Why is that happening? Why do we get really cold fingers and toes when it's freezing temperatures? The body is pulling all of that heat into the core. It's not wasting any energy on extraneous things like fingers and toes don't need those if it's a life and death situation what you need is your heart to survive your organs to survive and it pulls that energy in into those essential organs to keep Mm. you alive and that's what your fight and flight system is doing it's pulling that energy into the essential organs to keep you alive in that moment in those next 30 seconds and so what that means is in that 30 seconds where you're escaping you don't need to digest food right? You need yeah. to suppress your digestive system. So you need to poop that out or throw it up. You don't need to be digesting that Big Mac that you ate for lunch. You need to get away from, you know, the, the T-Rex or get away from the fire or whatever the emergency is. You you don't need to have relaxed muscles. You need to have super tight muscles. You certainly don't need to sleep. Can't be sleeping. We'll suppress mm. that as well. That one might mm. be suppressed too. Don't need to worry about immune system right now because the next 30 seconds are more important. And mm. all of those other important systems that keep us optimally functioning Mm. get suppressed and if we think about you know that in 30 seconds that's great that's a that helps us we're Mm. best Mm. to take that energy and survive where it becomes a problem is when this system is chronically firing over and over and over and we're perpetually putting on this adrenaline system Mm. and this we get a syndrome called a adrenaline fatigue, chronic Mm. adrenaline fatigue, where we're constantly in this state of adrenaline, which for people listening might look like things like, do you have really tight muscles? You know, is your back always sore? Is your neck always sore? Do you have digestive issues? Do you have food intolerances? Mm. Do you have sensitivities and you can only eat certain foods or you get a really sore tummy and it's really hard to digest the food? Do you have trouble with falling asleep do you have Mm. trouble with staying asleep Mm. do you have trouble with waking up really really early in the morning when you get that even though you can sleep in and you're desperate for sleep your body wakes you up first thing in the morning 
bing, I'm wide awake and my brain starts going through the mental list of all the things I have to do and I start feeling anxious and stressed mm-hmm. and I have to get out of bed even though I'm desperate to sleep. We actually call that the cortisol awakening response and it's that spike in cortisol mm-hmm. that can happen early, early in the morning and it's associated with you know, mental health issues, with anxiety, with stress. So that, that- if, if you're telling yourself stories of doom and gloom 30 times a day and the old amygdala's going through the roof, like the emotional epicenter's going nuts and you've got fear and anxiety and your story is that bloke at the next desk hates me and my boss hates me and, oh, someone's coming who's going to hurt me and and the world shits and I'm no good. And, and you're doing that 30 times a day and you're having some kind of negative hormonal response 30 times a day. So there's a relationship mm. between, you know, the reptilian brain and also obviously that higher level function, you know, so that that reptilian and the emotional and the cognitive are all intertwined really, right? Yeah, that, that's right. And and that's something we're going to go into in more detail yep. where these systems start to become pathways and well-trodden pathways in the brain. And, and essentially, you know, the long-term ramifications of this is that deterioration or that that chipping away at your health you're mm. chipping away down to the level of your muscles, like the the D, DHEA um, in your in your which helps to produce hormones like testosterone, estrogen. It, it peaks in early adulthood and starts to decline as we get older. It, it's aging us and it's causing us to to sort of detect de- deteriorate. You can't be running on a hundred a hundred percent of the time. You have to slow down. Um, now you're you're probably thinking, oh my god, the system sounds kind of flawed. But there's actually a, a complementary system in your body, and we will talk about this complementary system that turns all of these things mm. off. Mm. We'll talk about that in a whole other whole other episode, and that's your parasympathetic nervous system, your it's lesser known cousin. Mm. Um, it para as in to yeah. to turn off, to stop, yeah. Yeah. to stop something. Parasympathetic to turn mm. off that and promote a different part of your your body's reproductive, uh, rep- not reproductive. <laughs> Yes, reproductive as well, but your body's replenishing system. We call mm. it the rest and restore yeah. system. And this is the system that turns off the adrenaline. It turns off the cortisol, relaxes the muscles, promotes sleep, promotes muscle-building anabolic steroids. It, mm. it releases muscle-building hormones, sorry. It, it releases growth hormones. It releases DHEA, melatonin, testosterone, estrogen. It repairs the body. It allows us to be responsive to, you know, reproduction systems. It repairs essentially the damage of the nervous system and it gives our body that that moment, that break. And if you want, Craig, we could actually I can actually show you if you if you give me one second. I'm ready. If, We're ready. If if for a moment, guys, just indulge me for one second. I want you to take a deep breath into your belly. So breathe in with me and hold that breath. Really fill your lungs, hold it for a second and breathe out as slow as you can. Now take another deep breath in for me, breathing in. Hold it for a second and really let it go. Breathe it all out. Let your arms flop, uncross your arms, let your shoulders drop. Was there any 1% of your body that just for a moment there felt 
slightly mm. more relaxed. Mm. It, 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 yeah, it does. It is interesting how simple that is to do, yet how little we do it. And I think everybody knows or everybody has a bit of an idea of the value of like some breathing exercises. Hey, quickly before we go, have you seen Chimp Empire? No. <laughs> What's Chimp Empire? Chimp Empire. I'm not kidding. You will love it. <laughs> from a from a psychosocial, neurological, evolutionary uh perspective, it's um it's on Netflix and it's literally these um primate experts, all these researchers have followed this uh, group of um, chimps for decades and they've become so integrated in the middle of the jungle into their culture that the chimps now just go about their lives without noticing because they know they're not a threat. They don't take food from them. They don't hurt them. And so it's like they're just a part of the forest, these humans. So these um, these filmmakers came in a few years ago and spent three years filming this documentary. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Mm. About Sounds very they, Jane Goodall. Talk about more better. It's like <laughs> like every or, there's a real hierarchy and you get to know every chimp and they name them. There's a real hierarchy. There's a social structure. There's, What's it on? It's on Netflix. Yeah, Chimp Empire. Chimp Empire. And oh, it's, I'm definitely like, going to watch that. As an academic, you would love it. And talking about the alphas and who's in what group, there's all different groups and there's mm. older chimps and younger chimps and there's the like literally the alpha and then the 2IC and then the alpha who's getting older now who and the, a couple of young ones who are going to threaten him and, uh, you know, it's fucking fascinating. <laughs> Yeah. It's it's amazing how much we can learn from like looking at you know the basics, looking at children, looking at the reptile brain, looking at different primates, and mm. seeing mm. the social dynamics play out in yeah. in you know more simplistic in inverted commas more simplistic kind of social structures and animals. It's yeah. funny, it's fascinating how much we can learn about ourselves when we look at those foundational roots. It's quite amazing. Yes. Um, oh, so many things. All right, we've got to finish. What are we doing next time? So we've learned about our reptile brain, our dinosaur brain. Now we're going to learn about next week, we're going to learn about the limbic brain, the child inside us that wants what it wants and it wants it now. We're going to talk a little bit more about that middle part of the brain. And in sessions to come, we'll talk about how your little dinosaur brain and your child brain interact to get those chronic systems going and why that happens. Awesome. Um, by the way, everyone, if you've got an idea or suggestion for the good doc in the kind of brain space, mind space, neuropsych space, um, just send us an email or jump into the group, the Facebook group, which we've got 2,600 members in that little group now, all very friendly and familiar. And it is the U Project podcast. I couldn't remember if pod, yeah, the U Project podcast <laughs> Facebook group. It's free. Lots of good energy and lots of good vibes in there. So uh, jump in that. Dr. Hannah, thanks. Thanks for having me.